Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 156 of X-Lapsed, where, uh, well, if you listened to the previous episode, uh, you'll know that I started with a bit of a pre-ramble about how it was probably going to be a very short episode, because, uh, well, there was no mailbag, and it was an issue that I really, uh, didn't care for. I didn't account for the possibility or likelihood that I was going to decide to rant about how unpleasant I found the issue for... An excessive amount of time, which uh, made the show a little bit longer than I was expecting it to be. That said, today's episode might very well be the shortest episode yet. Not because I didn't like the issue we're going to discuss today, it's just that there isn't a whole heck of a lot to say about it. And also, the mailbag is still, sadly, empty. So, uh, hopefully, that'll pick up again soon. But, let's get into today's discussion. We're going to be talking about Wolverine, Volume 7, Number 9. Had a March 2021 cover date and a legacy number of 351. Stories called Bidding War, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Adam Cubitt. Colors Frank Martin, letters VCs Corey Petit, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits Basso White Sobolski, cover price $3.99. This one went on sale January 27th of 2021. Now, before we get into it, uh, this issue is uh, funny because. This is, like, a DCBS is where I get my books. I've talked about that several times uh, throughout my tenure behind a microphone. And for the most part, they very seldom miss uh, shipments, you know? Uh, every once in a while, the, uh, something won't show up. But for a little while there, I was also ordering at the very last minute, and sometimes after the last minute. So I really can't hold that against them that I didn't get what I ordered if I ordered after the due date for orders to come in. But this issue of Wolverine that we're about to discuss here, this is the one, if you're not following along uh, in reading, this one has Wolverine's severed arm, or severed, like, elbow to hand, um, up on an auction block with his claws extended, of course. Now, I saw that one, and I thought it's a very striking cover. It is a very striking cover. And uh, I did not get this one in the shipment I was expecting it in. It was the only book missing from the shipment, and so I automatically assumed that, like, something huge happened in this issue. Because it's like, okay, maybe maybe they sold out. Maybe there's some unexpected first appearance in this book that, you know, blew up on the damn speculator apps or something. And they decided to hold this one back or withhold it from the orders. And uh, I even considered running out and buying uh, a copy or trying to track down a copy. And uh, that week I went to the shops and... Nobody was sold out of the book. Everybody had the book, and I was like, okay, I can wait. Uh, it wasn't like we were going to be recording this episode right away. I mean, this is an issue from just about two months ago, uh, real time. So I wasn't too concerned with getting it right away. But in the back of my mind, 
each of those times I saw it and didn't pick it up, I'm like, man, I'm going to regret that, aren't I? I was really, really worried that I was going to find out that, like, like you know, Honey Badger's third cousin clone is going to show up in this one, and and now she's going to be a, the subject of a of a Mar- of a Disney Plus show, and everybody's going to want this first appearance. And no, it wasn't that at all. It was just that uh, the book didn't ship for whatever reason. And actually, uh, the following month, when I got it in my DCBS bundle, I got two of them. So uh, I I don't know why I got two of them. I know I didn't order two, but. Uh, I got two of them. Uh, if any, if anybody really, really wants this issue, I, I could probably hook you up. But let's get into the discussion of the issue here. Now we open on the nine-panel grid's overachieving sibling here, the sixteen-panel grid. Well, only five or six of them have actual comics content, like sequential art in them. The rest of them are all a mosaic of a background. It looks really, really cool. I like it a lot. It almost looks confusing, but it's so easy to follow. That it, it just really works. It's hard to really put it into words. Now, this is a flashback to a Team X mission from, quote, years ago. And it's Wolverine, Maverick, and Sabretooth. And we can see that old Victor is taking great pleasure in using his status as an agent to, well, murder people. Wolverine and Maverick try to call him out for this, to which he suggests that they're nothing but hypocrites. As at the end of the day, they're all nothing more than killers. Now, our trio are extracted from the mission area, with Wolverine's narration waxing poetic about how he is a weapon until he chooses not to be. Next up, an info page, and it's from The Secret History of Wolverine. And I didn't know there was one of those anymore. I thought we knew everything we needed to know. Well, actually, it looks like The Secret History of Wolverine is perhaps a book, maybe a blog somewhere. Uh, it, It has an author, but the name's been redacted here. The gist here is that Wolverine and Maverick made a pact to never turn into what Sabretooth has turned into, and also to never forget what they'd done while part of Team X. Now, it looks like Team X would mind-wipe them after each mission, but Wolverine and Maverick figured out ways to remember or remind themselves. Now, Wolverine would jot down notes in the margins of a book that he had stolen, and the book was The Book of Five Rings, which is an actual book and I'm guessing it has a deeper meaning and connection to this story than I'm aware of, because uh, I am a uh, uncultured heathen, and <laughs> I don't know a whole heck of a lot about that book. Actually, I don't know anything about that book. Now, Maverick, he would develop a mnemonic device in order to help him to remember here, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Next up, a double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred, and our Roll Call is... well, it's Wolverine. That's it. Uh, back to comics and back to the present. We've got Patch entering room 13 at the Legacy House. We saw him get the key at the end of last issue. Here he's going through the door. And he's met by a pair of armed heavies who warn him not to make any sudden moves while they pat him down. Now, they don't seem to recognize him, either as Wolverine nor as Patch, which is a bit hard to believe considering we're in Madripoor, and I figure Patch's reputation would precede him, but what are you going to do? Anywho, during an elevator ride, they do the pat-down, and all that they can find is a nasty bit of Krakoan weed in his left ear. Uh, This is how he was going to be communicating back to Sage and Beast with, you know, what he's learning in real time. So they noink the crud out of his ear and they toss it. So uh, Wolverine has, uh, he's got no ties to Krakoa right now. The door is open and our man is once again warned about causing any trouble. Basically, don't. Um... From here, we get the old Liefeld special where we actually have to turn the book sideways in order to read it. 
But this is a really cool page here. Um, we get to see Patch entering the main hall of the auction house here, and there are some notables hanging out here. We got the Kingpin, he's here for the auction. We got some Order of Ex-Goofs. We got the leader of Zeno, the Peacock guy. Uh, the Kitty Hellfire Club, Omenes Verendir here. Uh, Dolores What's-A-Face from the X-Desk, um, who... I gotta say, they can't seem to establish an actual look for her outside of just woman in wheelchair. She looks different just about every time we see her. Now, there's also this hulking dude with red hair and a beard sitting at the bar. I want to say we've seen him before simply because his design is so striking, but I couldn't tell you who he is. Uh, he has a cybernetic arm, too. Uh, he he actually kind of reminds me of uh, Mammoth from... Uh, the Fearsome Five over at DC, the uh, Teen Titans villain. He kind of looks like the New 52 redesign of him. Um, I'm guessing it's probably not him, though. Uh, maybe we'll find out more. Uh, we won't find anything out this issue, but maybe we'll find something out in subsequent issues who this fella is. Anyway, it's finally auction time, and we see some of the items up for bid. We've got Black Widow's cyanide-filled tooth, false tooth, um, a prison painting by Jigsaw, I don't know why anybody would want that. A goblin glider. Don't know if that's the one he was impaled on or not. Uh, the, ca- the cowl of Captain America from when he was thawed from the ice back in Avengers number four. The gravestone of Spider-Man from Craven's Last Hunt. Magnetic Man's gloves. And we'll learn a little bit more about them. Or we won't learn more about them, but we'll see more of them in action in a bit. And, as if the cover didn't already spoil this, we see the severed right hand of Wolverine. Don't know when he lost the hand. Which hand was he missing during Age of Apocalypse? I think that was the left, so probably isn't the same one. I don't know. Well, now the sight of his own hand causes Patch to shatter the wine glass he's carrying. And the Kingman hands him a hanky to clean up the blood. Wolverine does just that before dropping the hanky to the ground, which is both stupid and disgusting. Uh, Thankfully, the Xeno guy immediately snatches it up. Uh Uh-oh. It's worth noting, we see that Dolores What's-Her-Face is wearing some interesting glasses, which identify Patch as Wolverine. Now, the next item up for bid is, well, Maverick himself. He's uh, completely mind-wiped and ready for use. Uh, What's more, he's your ticket into Krakoa, if you so desire. And the bids rack up like crazy. Now, as a demonstration of what Mav can do, the auctioneer, who we're calling The Merchant, has one of his heavies try and attack. Maverick takes him down without even breaking a sweat. And so the bids keep escalating and pouring in. The Merchant then notices that there's someone very special in the crowd. Wolverine. The Order of Ex-Goofs all bow down in reverence because, of course, they worship mutants. The Kingpin just smirks. I'm pretty sure he already knew who Patch was here. Uh, Dolores taps her glasses, and then, of course, a big old fight breaks out. Now, as Wolverine is attacked by a bunch of the heavies, the merchant slips on the magnetic man's gloves and wrangles our adamantium-laced hero. Now, this triggers another 16-panel grid flashback. Uh, same sort of setup as the opening pages. 16 panels, only five or six are you know, sequential art. Uh, the rest are background. Really looks cool. And uh, this shows Wolverine getting a mind wipe back in the long ago. At least I think that's what we're looking at. We also get to see Maverick's mnemonic device, or hear it, I suppose, uh, and it goes a little something like this. Today is a victory over yourself of yesterday. Which, hey, look at that, is a quote from that Five Rings book that I know nothing about. 
Back to the present, Wolverine is stuck in a physical stasis due to the magnetic mitts, and he utters the mnemonic device to try to get into Maverick's head. It doesn't work. So, uh, not, you know, never, never letting himself get into the whole uh, definition of insanity thing, he does it again. He repeats himself. He repeats the mnemonic device, and, well, it works. Maverick grabs the merchant and holds a gun to his head. He looks to Wolverine, claims not to know who he is, but, at least for now, they're in this fight together. And we wrap up with a quote page, and it's Wolverine talking about Maverick. The gist here is that he likes him a lot, but doesn't completely trust him. That's the issue. Next time out, we're talking about X-Men. And I wish I were joking, um, but uh, it, it has to do with the Shi'ar. Okay, we'll worry about that next time. Uh, now, let's uh, let's see what we can get out of this Wolverine issue to talk about here. Um, it wasn't bad. I liked it. I liked it quite a bit here. I like it when uh, Ben Percy is able to kind of wrangle in some of the more, I suppose, purple narration and stuff here. Uh, this didn't have a whole heck of a lot of that. We did see, you know, Wolverine saying, I'm a weapon, until I decide I'm not. But other than that, I mean, this was a fairly straightforward story. It was told in a very interesting way. I like, as I mentioned the last time we talked about uh, an issue of Wolverine, I like this concept of the legacy house, uh, yeah, auction house being a thing. It stands to reason that something like this would exist in the fantastical Marvel universe, right? I mean, we've got auction houses in the real world, and people collect everything. Like, literally everything. <laughs> you can collect old clocks, old spoons, empty bottles. I mean, people collect all sorts of stuff here. So, in the Marvel Universe, why wouldn't people collect uh, superhero uh, and supervillain uh, paraphernalia, memorabilia, stuff like that? It uh, it definitely makes sense, and um, I'm not sure if this has been done before. I, w- I would assume that it has been. I just haven't read it before, so this is a very fresh and novel uh, sort of story for me here, and I'm really, really enjoying it. We do have some of those, you know, uh, suspension of disbelief situations here where nobody seemed to recognize uh, Patch. I mean... Patch, even if they don't know it's Wolverine, and I mean, they should know it's Wolverine, but even if they don't, they should know who Patch is. He's a uh, fairly notable name in Madripoor, I would imagine. Uh, He's there a lot, and he's always, like, in the middle of the action, so you'd figure that they might at least have heard of the guy with uh, with the pointy hair and eye patch. I don't know. Now, we do see that the merchant calls him out as Wolverine here. Now... That we could take a few different ways. Uh, did the merchant recognize him? Was Wolverine being lured into this uh, into this auction house here? Did the heavies in the elevator recognize him but just not want to draw attention to it because they needed him in position here? Or did Dolores What's-Her-Face tip the merchant off? Because we saw through her, you know, her Google glasses that... Uh, she was able to identify Patch as Logan here. And, I mean, you look at Patch, you know who he is. But, okay, we'll, we'll suspend the disbelief here. So she knows who he is, and we see her tapping her glasses right before, uh, or right after Wolverine gets called out and uh, exposed. I don't know what the story is with Dolores. Um, she seems to be presented in different ways depending on the book she's in. As we saw in Marauders not too long ago, uh, she and Storm had a nice conversation on the subway. And we even found out that uh, Dolores was somewhat instrumental in foiling the Amines Verendi uh, poisoning plot. So she seemed like an ally. But then in the prior issue of Wolverine, 
we see that she's like watching over uh, Logan and Bannister and looking very nefarious. And here, I'm really not sure what to take from this uh, this scene here. Is she just there? Is she just a bystander? Or did she tip off the merchant somehow? And if so, why? <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't know if we'll get any sort of a straightforward thing on her anytime soon. I know she's going to be at the Hellfire Gala. At least I assume she will be because she did get an invite. So maybe we'll get uh, on more firm ground with Dolores. Or maybe, maybe I'm just reading too much into this. And seeing things where there actually is nothing That is definitely a possibility um, uh, Let's talk about the items up for bid here I, I thought this was a weird little uh, assortment here And when I saw the, the Magnetic Man's uh, mitts there I was like, what in the hell? Who cares about this? And I did a little bit of research And I think the Magnetic Man has only shown up in like two issues Ever So it's like it, sem- it seemed like a very, very obscure And pointless addition here but those mitts came in handy here because it was able to uh, stop Wolverine or temporarily stop Wolverine before Maverick's mnemonic device kicked in. But really neat use of, uh, you know, it was like Chekhov's magnetic gloves, you know. I, I really dug that here. Um, the other items were pretty cool, too. Um, the gravestone from Craven's Last Hunt. That's a story that I feel is very, very overrated. Not not a not a huge fan of Craven's Last Hunt. Um but, uh, hey, you know, it is iconic. It, you know, a lot of people know that cover of Spider-Man, you know, dragging himself out of the, or bursting out of the, uh, out of the shallow grave there with that tombstone in the background here. So that's a cool callback. Uh, Captain America's actual cowl from World War II, that's, that's really, really cool uh, to see that here. Just a, a real neat assortment uh, of, uh, of oddities and uh, antiquities, I suppose. But, uh Really like the way they built this here. Um, now, Maverick. Let's talk a little bit about the man of the hour here, who uh, I don't remember anybody actually caring about Maverick all that much. I, I I don't know why he would be demanding such a just an outpouring of bids. <laughs> he's just Maverick. Um, I don't know that he's ever been depicted as anything all that special. I know for the longest time, Maverick was just the guy who had the shortest-lived ongoing X-Men series ever when it got, uh, I think it was like 10 or 12 issues before it got canceled back in 1997, which was, at the time, a record where I think a lot of books these days uh, will never see their 12th issue, so uh, uh, the times change, I suppose. I would still find it kind of, uh, I don't want to say inorganic or forced here, but uh, I suppose... There are worse characters to do it with than Maverick, and I've got nothing against Maverick. I just don't think he's quite as important as the story's trying to make him seem. I think this is just an opportunity to have Wolverine, you know, running with one of his old, you know, running buddies or pals or, you know, peers. And uh, this is just a means to an end to get there. Uh, It's interesting how they cite his ability to cross into Krakoa as some sort of a selling point where... If we're dealing with, uh, you know, mutants we can mind wipe, I mean, can't we just mind wipe any mutant and use them as a uh, as a passport into Krakoa? Isn't this something that could have been done before? I can't, can't they go to Deadpool's Island and grab that, you know, walking jello mold guy and, and, have, and have him walk him through the gateways? I really don't know what the point of that would be. And I also don't know what the point of going to Krakoa would be. What is the allure of a human not named Kane Marco going to Krakoa? 
uh, it's not like you're going to be able to do a whole heck of a lot there. You're you're going to be overrun by hundreds of thousands of mutants. So I don't know. I guess it's maybe just a reminder that this is what's going on in the universe, and maybe this curiosity about Krakoa. I really don't know, but. It's a fair enough story. I, I nothing to get mad at here, and uh, in fact, I, I quite enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Frankly, a Wolverine story not having to do with Russia or vampires or Russian vampires is uh, is a good thing. So I'll take what I can get. But uh, that's all I got to say about this 351st allegedly issue of Wolverine. And uh, as I mentioned, there is no mailbag today. The mailbag is still sadly, sadly empty. So uh, I tried to think of another way to end the program here. And uh, I figured, hey, maybe I could find the November 2020 sales figures finally. And uh, no, no, they're still not up. The November 2020 uh, sales figures at Comicron are still not there. And frankly, I'm not sure that they ever will be at this point. Uh, I just found out, and I'm I'm way, way behind on news, but I found out that Marvel is no longer Diamond exclusive. They're now with uh, Penguin Random House for their distribution, and I guess Diamond can still be like a third-party distributor for them, just distributing through Random House. But uh, yeah, Marvel's out of the Diamond game now, so I don't know how we're going to get sales figures. I don't know how we're going to get like a top 300. I don't know if that's a thing that's even going to exist anymore. So, uh, interesting times ahead, I suppose, and um, unfortunately, uh, it kind of leaves us kind of holding the bag where we can't really track these things the way we used to, and that's something I think I'm going to miss. I, I haven't done it much of late, but uh, yeah, I was, I was looking forward to doing it with these books here, but that is uh, probably just not in the cards anymore. I was going to take a look at Marvel previews, but we're going to actually do that in just a few episodes. We're going to get into the beginning of April before we actually talk about the books coming out in, I believe, May. Um, so, I suppose I can close out with another plug for the Facebook group, 90s X-Men on Facebook, where our friend Evan Bevins is starting conversations here. Uh, Last episode, we talked a bit about the discussion we had over, like, fantasy booking the upcoming X-Men team that'll be presented at the Hellfire Gala. A lot of fun conversation there. And another question he asked was, well, who's going to round out the Quiet Council? We've lost three members here. Or we're about to lose a third, I suppose. We've lost Apocalypse, we've lost Gene, and uh, if, uh, you know, if what Storm said in Marauders is true, we're going to be losing Storm as well. So... He asked, who do we replace these folks with? Now, this might be a weird question to be asking, considering that, you know, I am a little bit behind here. I'm probably about 20 issues behind uh, current day books here. So for all I know, these questions have already been answered. But for the sake of pretending we're back at the end of January here, like the book we're covering is, I decided to, uh, to give it a go, try to give it a shot here. Who do we replace these characters with? And uh, I only did two characters here. I did not take Storm out of the equation yet because, I mean, she's on the cover of the book that we're covering next episode. She's on the cover of that issue of X-Men where they're dealing with the damn Shi'ar. So she's not gone yet. We know Jean is gone, and we know Apocalypse is gone. So to replace Jean, I was trying to think of, I mean, that whole quarter is... Just classic X-Men characters here. Nightcrawler, Marvel Girl, Storm. And so I tried racking my brain with uh, you know classic X-Men characters who might fit that spot here. It's like, 
probably won't be Rogue, um, probably won't be Forge. You know, I always think about these characters as being like the the Claremont Run characters here, the Claremont Run and before, you know, not the Lobdell stuff on here. And the only character I can, can come up with is maybe it'll be Banshee. You know, Banshee was part of the giant-sized team, and he has had a leadership role. He ran Generation X with Emma Frost, who's also on the Quiet Council, so maybe... If they do fill these seats, well, you could do worse than Banshee, I suppose. Now, to fill Apocalypse's seat, I'm going to go back to the hot take I had a couple episodes ago here and suggest Amal Farouk, the Shadow King. And this is, of course, the theory I had that not everything is as it seems as it comes to Amal Farouk, as in maybe he's not quite as uh, sinister as... The art is portraying him to be, and, you know, what the pattern of behavior tells us it should be here. Maybe he is a good guy. Maybe he does have the best interest of the students and the children at heart here. Maybe he is. Maybe he is an ally to the Krakoan way of life here. So, I mean, that's a far-fetched theory, but uh, it's the one I'm going to go with. So, uh, I'm thinking if we do replace those two characters, it'll be with Amal Farouk sitting next to Magneto and Professor X, and then we'll have um, we'll have Banshee sitting next to Nightcrawler and Storm for as long as she remains on the board. But uh, that's just another discussion that we're having over at 90s X-Men on Facebook. I'd like to invite everyone over to that group to take part and to chime in and all that good stuff here. If Facebook ain't your thing, hey, that's that's fine. I don't really know how to use it myself. So uh, if you would like to uh, share your thoughts on who is going to be replacing these characters, uh, without spoilers, of course, if this has already been rectified in the current day books, but uh, please feel free to hit me up. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. It's also the home of X-Lapsed Origins, a series of articles taking a look at seminal moments in X-History that are uh, back to being relevant even today. We're still focusing on our opening salvo of Otherworld, taking a look at the old Alan Moore, Alan Davis, Dave Thorpe, Captain Britain stories here. Uh, if you're following along, we just met the Fury. Uh, Mad Jim Jaspers is back. We got the quick and dirty on his origin. It's a good time. It's a real fun revisit, and uh, if you haven't read those stories, I encourage you to. And uh, if you just feel like reading what I think about them, hey, that's that's all the better. You can uh, pop over to Chris's on Infinite Earths and find all of that stuff. Uh, there's also xlaps.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. If you just want the xlap stuff, that's where you find it. Uh, there is the Facebook group again, 90s X-Men. And for all your listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available on all your noise aggregation devices and applications. And if you like what you hear, please do me a favor and spread the word, share the share the site, do all that good stuff if you wouldn't mind. I'd really, really appreciate it. But that is where we're going to leave it today. I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing some time with me today. It really, really means a lot. And as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.